Hello and welcome. You've tuned into Active Listening with T4 Tactics. I'm Marco Galbraith, your host, and our podcast is all about personal success and networking. We'll discuss small business tips, health and wellness issues, personal safety tips, financial gain, and a variety of other topics from professionals in the field. And once in a while, we'll throw in our area of expertise, firearm safety and active shooter response for businesses, churches, and schools. So sit back, relax, listen, and learn. Active listening with T4 Tactics. We're back with Active Listening with T4 Tactics. I'm your host, Marco Galbraith, and today we've got a very unique person uh, with me today for my podcast, George Kaler, uh, who has written the book, Surviving George. I got to tell you, he gave me the book the other day when I when I met him, and uh, we had a great conversation, and I'm not really a book reader, but I finished this one in about four hours. I could not stop reading it, and uh, very interesting. George, Welcome. It's an honor to be here, Marco. Yeah, I'm glad you could come by. This is going to be a good podcast. And if it reflects the book and your life from what I've been hearing, what we've been talking about for the last week or so, is uh, it's going to be interesting. So tell us about yourself, and then we'll talk about the book. i got a ton of stories I want to go over about this book just to tease people about it. But So tell us about yourself. Well, I'm 75 years old. I was raised in Pennsylvania Dutch country outside Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Do you know something about Punxsutawney? I know that, uh, what's the movie? Uh, that Groundhog was, Day. Groundhog Day, yes. Yeah, just over and over. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but story of my life. Yeah. Every morning I woke up still <laughs> Punxsutawney. Yeah, I was raised on a small family farm outside Punxsutawney. Yeah. And uh, in what was called the Age of Innocence. Uh-huh. America, 1949 to 1956. My age is 5 to 12. And so <clears throat> I talk away about the culture at that time, the one-room school, yeah. The family farm where we had to struggle to make it. Yeah. And we didn't have time to figure out we were whether we were self actualized or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> any of that. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we just had to fight to survive and, right. and we did. And we pulled together and it equipped us for real life. Yeah. And uh I was thinking about that about fifteen years ago and I said, you know, there's no books out there quite like I could write. And so I wrote it, and I was reading stories to my dad, and he was 85 at the time. Right. And Daddy said, Georgie, I'm not going to last all that much longer. Why don't you just wait until I die? I think the book will be a bestseller. I don't want to be famous. Right. Well, he lived to age 100. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I I finally, uh, after he died, and I still wish I had him rather than publish the book, but finally he passed away. And I decided to publish. Yeah, which which talking about your dad, which you do it a lot in the book. He was born in the house, hundred years hundred years and a month later, he died in the house. And how many feet away from where he was born? About thirty feet from where he was Amazing. born. Amazing. He had the same exact address for a hundred years. Amazing. That is really cool. Well, in this age where you move from place to place, yeah, and yeah, so on, yeah, and uh, especially military people. But yeah, he uh, he didn't get into the military. I. I I mentioned why in the book, uh-huh. but uh, back at during World War II, um, certain men were, even though they were family men, they still went into the military, but he did not. He was a farmer. Right. And America needed butter, milk, Absolutely. eggs, grains, yeah. vegetables. Yeah. And so uh, he was not a soldier and he had the same address for 100 years. Yeah. He had seven kids there. Yeah. He was a hardworking farmer, I'll say that from reading the book. So, and you just got back from Hollywood. 
Yes. That's exciting. Well, That's an I exciting went out there. I, I had some interviews set up. I did nine television shows. Yeah. And uh, 11 radio spots. A little bit like this one, but yeah. nobody as good, good looking as you. Oh, thank Too you. Too bad people can't see you. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad I only have like five listeners. <laughs> <laughs> On one of the shows, it was a TV show after we were through. I said to the producer there, I said, well, how many people will see this? He said... Five million this week, another thirty million next week. That's and I crazy. said, "Wow, who are they?" He said, "Asian, who speak American." Yeah. And so I said, "They speak English, but they're in Asia." He said, "Yes." Yeah. And I turned to my agent and I said, "Why did we just do this interview?" <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. I guess you never know who's going to listen. You know, that's pretty now, cool. I was talking. That show is mainly about Sharia law. I yeah. spoke to Congress uh, about a month ago. On the dangers of Sharia law, allowing it into America. I know, I know. How how foreign it is to our constitution, our lifestyle. Uh And believe it or not, I was being picketed and protested by code pink vagina hat women. Yeah. And I said to one of them afterwards, I said, do you even know what you're protesting? She said, Trump is against Sharia, so I'm for it. I said... You know you're going to get your clitoris snipped off. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry for the radio. Here, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they do. But it's, but it's, a, it's. I mean, we, we're speaking about the truth. It's female genital mutilation, and it's, it's. Uh, it's horrific. It, it's uh, about male dominance there. Yeah. Uh, the videos on it are absolutely terrifying. Uh, there are there's YouTube videos out there floating around that that show it occurring with these young girls. And uh, and let me tell you, it's it's. It's so Horrible. that they can never have a climax. Yeah. So they can never enjoy sex. And right. that way, the husband totally c- controls them. Right. There's no right. chance of them cheating because yeah. sex is, is painful. And a lot of times this mutilation is done in their home without sedatives, without proper cleanliness through medical procedures. They die afterwards. So yeah. A, a lot of them die every year. So that's your law. We don't need it here. It's, it's just an abysmal thing. Well, there was, a, there was a doctor from Pakistan who was doing clitorectomies. Mm. And uh, this was in uh, outside Detroit. Yeah. And so a big Muslim community there. Yeah. And parents were bringing their daughters there to have their clitoris clean. Yeah. Scary stuff, folks. You better pay attention to this. And, and, so at any uh, rate, I was, uh, I was protested on. by those folks. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that wasn't all that happy event. But Surviving Jersey is a happy book. It is a happy book. So let's <laughs> let's talk about that. Um, you bring a lot of people back to life in the book, and, and a lot of people are going to live on forever because of the book. It's it's just it was funny. There were some there were some some sad moments because you have sad moments in your life. You're you're uh, young, eleven years old, dying of was it bone cancer? Yes, Timmy died of bone Timmy, cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's probably the saddest part. When I was writing it, I was crying. I read that, yeah. And uh, I was with Timmy uh, about a day before he died. Yeah. And now he was only eight. I was eight. Right. And uh, he said, Georgie, I'm not afraid. I can hear the angels singing to me. It's when so I read beautiful. that, I thought that was so nice. Yeah. yeah. And he passed on the next day. Yeah. And uh, I've had several experiences like that since with adults who died the next day. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, the first person to read this book, he read it before it was a book. It was just a manuscript. Uh His wife said, George, my uh, husband Mark is dying. He won't be here when the book's here. Would you give him a manuscript? I said, well, actually, I'm not supposed to, but I will. Yeah. And I did. And she called me. She said, George, 
Mark is in his room in the very process of dying, mm. and he's laughing his butt wow. off. Wow. Wow, he what a blessing. He his pain. He's laughing What a blessing. That's a blessing that, that you were able to give him. Well, yeah, and he and he died. Uh, he did die uh, that week, and uh, yeah. but he was laughing right up to the time he died. Reading surviving yeah. Georgie. Yeah, so let's. Um, <laughs> we got to talk about <laughs> Bell's leg, and we got to talk about hornets from the plum, plum tree with your uh, uncle Paul. <laughs> there were a lot of recording you getting eaten by <laughs> hornets and not helping. Oh, uncle, I'm still mad at him. He's been dead for 30, 40 years. I'm yeah. still mad at him. Uh, uh, t- let's talk about Belle Hartley yeah, first. Yeah, a really tough old woman. Uh, she might have been as tough as you, Mark. <laughs> you're, you're, you're one tough guy, but she was the toughest woman in the county, maybe the toughest, tougher than any man. But uh-huh. um, she would go out into the fields with the men to make sure she got a good day's work. Yeah. Well, when they would come in, she would ride the lead Belgium, that's uh, workhorses, yeah. and she would sit up on the tack. That's the stuff that holds the plow and everything, whatever it is, to the horse. Yeah. Well, they came in, and my dad was there, and Belle was slipping down off the horse, and she had an ankle-length dress, and as she came down, the dress came up. And to find it was up over her head, and all the workmen were kind of shocked. Belle didn't have any underwear on. So anyway, one of the, she's there, she turned the front of her body towards uh, the horse to preserve a little bit of dignity is another workman yelled out uh, he he ran over with his hat and he put his hat over her very ample rump yeah and uh tried to cover her up a little bit and another workman yelled more hat <laughs> <laughs> she's a big woman yeah she's yeah, yeah. a big woman she more was hat. you didn't want to mess with bell she right slap you silly right anyway bell was uh the story doesn't turn out all, good, all that well she uh she was out working in the fields by herself one day you know what a McCormick Reaper is? Yeah. Well, when the horses pull it, the wheels turn and the sickle bar mower goes back and forth. And like you said in the book, there was no OSHA. There no, were no there was safety no guards. There, was, there were a thousand ways to die. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it was all bad. That's right. <laughs> anyway, we went to a funeral up or down the valley about every six months. Somebody died. Yeah. And uh, so Bell was riding uh, the, sickle bar, the sickle bar mower and the horses stopped and she got off to see what the thing was, and they were spooked by a, a snake or something. And they took off, and the wheels turned, and the sickle bars went back and forth, and Belle looked down, and there was her foot on the ground, separated yeah. from Belle. Yeah. Well, most people would panic at a time like that. Well, Belle took her handkerchief off her head, put it around her leg, made a tourniquet, picked up her foot, rode the uh, machine back to her house, put the foot in a bucket, and she drove into Punxsutawney, to the hospital there. Well, that was before Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't reattach the foot. But nothing goes to waste in our area. Right. And uh, so she put it in a big pickle jar of formaldehyde, and she put it up on her mantle. And so when you visited Belle, you'd be there talking to Belle, but your eyes would keep wandering up to her foot. (laughs) And you did want to say, you know, Belle, would you please move your foot? It's not like right. if you had your foot on mine under the desk here, I would say, uh, Marco, could you move your foot? Yeah. You were afraid to say it because if she moved her foot, she might put it on the coffee table. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, 40 years after that happened, the, the foot was buried with, with, with uh, her body. And, yeah, yeah, so yeah. They were reunited in, wow. in, in the grave. Wow. So anyway, stories like Belle... The uh, hornet, apparently. you yeah, you you went up to the as soon as I was reading the book, as soon as you said you went up to a tree and there was like a paper ball on the tree. I, thought, I didn't know oh, what it was. I was about I was it. about five years old and and I went up to a tree and and uh, picked 
this big feathery ball off yeah. the tree, and here was a hornet's nest. Ugh. And uh, the hornets came flying out. I don't know why I wasn't killed. And my older brother, Mo, he yeah. was three years older, came up and knocked the nest out of out of my hands and, and grabbed my hand and ran with me. And the reason I remember it so vividly is I saw it in a movie about a year later. My yeah. Uncle Paul filmed everything. He was Recording. A, he was a home movie guy. Not going to help you out. No, he was like those wildlife guys who... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if the baby moose is drowning, just let it drown. Let's right. get a good movie that's how, that's how people are now with cell phones. You see people in need of critical help, and they're recording uh, yeah. their, on their cell phones. Yeah, the can footage. I have so, a hand here so they give them some applause? You know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Paul was one of the... Uncle Paul was one of the first ones to just record while somebody's getting tore up with hornets. I don't know why... My, and the... And he zeroed in on my brother and me crying yeah. about the hornet sting. Yeah. No help, just get just a good recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that was 40 years ago. I'm still, I mean, 40 still, years ago he died, and I'm right. still mad at still him. Still mad at him. I probably would be too. Um, in the book, it mentions, you know, guns in schools. They had shooting clubs in schools. And when I do my active shooter training, I always talk about, I graduated in 84, and prior to that, I would go to school with my shotgun in the back rack of my truck. Nobody said anything because we were going to go target practice, skeet shooting, hunting afterwards. I wore a folding buck knife on on my side into class. We sell T4 Tactics t-shirts here, in, and uh, they have a picture of a gun on it. Kids cannot wear those to school, just a picture. And so look at the days. Look how they've changed. You know, you were talking about the shooting club. In the oh, school. we've... We're raising a, a generation of snowflakes. Yeah. They wither yeah. under anything. Yeah. Uh, they need guys like you to protect them. They may know it, know it yet, but they do because yeah. they can't do anything for themselves. In our one-room school, back in the late 40s, early 50s, the way a boy could make money in our area was trapping. Mm -hmm. We trapped muskrat, mink, uh, skunk. <laughs> you mm. read about the Reed brothers who caught a skunk and it sprayed them. They went to school anyway. Uh huh. Boy, uh -huh. were they pariahs. That's that, right. <laughs> they weren't allowed in the school. Anyway, it uh, still stunk up the place. But you carried your gun to school, yeah. checking your trap line. You went hunting afterwards, and the guns were actually in school. Right. And you never thought back then of turning that gun on the teacher Nobody or all your it. students. Never, Nobody. never thought of it. Anybody who would have used anything but skin. Yeah, in a in a scrap. That's right. Even in my time, in '84 when I graduated, you had a problem with somebody, you fist fight. There was never any any thought or mention of a of a gun or a knife or, or a knife or and and you shook hands and you were best friends. Exactly, afterwards. exactly. No, and, and there were no uh, vendettas or no. It didn't last. Uh, I don't know in this age of the uh, social media. Yeah, the feuds start over nothing and yeah. they continue. Yeah. I got beat up several times in the parking lot of school, and every time I'd get up, dust myself off, and shake the girl's hand. <laughs> and, and then we would become friends. <laughs> Happened quite often. <laughs> um, I don't think anybody beat you up for what I'm looking at, Marco. <laughs> um, it, you know, it also talks about Chapter 49, Manhood. Um, I think Tom Brokaw's book you mentioned. Yeah, The Greatest Generation. Yeah, and uh, how true that was. I, I really, really connected with that part, you know, because we don't see that anymore. It's just a different time. We had a bus driver. His name was Buddy DeFore. Yeah. And Buddy just passed away two years ago. Wow. And I read him stories from the book, and I read him the story 
about himself yeah. in the book, and he was crying as he was listening yeah. because he didn't know that he had made that much of a difference to the yeah. kids. But I would get on the bus in the morning. It was about a 12-mile trip to the school. And uh, Buddy would say, good morning, Georgie, mm-hmm. and uh, how are you doing today? And then when I got off the bus, he would say, Georgie, have a great day. Do something really good today. And Buddy and I went hunting. I was first time I realized he was a World War II veteran. Yeah. We were out hunting. I was about 11 years old, and I noticed he had a Mauser uh, rifle. I said, where'd you get that? He said, off a dead Nazi. He didn't need it anymore. <laughs> and that was, <laughs> that only was, fired, only, only uh, never fired and only dropped once. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that was the summation of yeah. Buddy's war experience. A little bit like my father-in-law. When I was uh, helping him move into a retirement community, opened a drawer, and there was full of ribbons and medals. Yes. And I said, Joe, if these were mine, I would have put them in a display case and I'd been bragging all over the place about this. He said, Georgie, I was just doing my job. Yeah, yeah. Just doing my job, my duty, my duty. Yeah, wow. But men, we were taught manhood back then and and how to be strong. Right. And and women, they were strong too, but they knew how to be feminine. Right. And there was no blurring of the sexes. Right. You knew what you were. Yeah, absolutely. And there were only two sexes. Absolutely. Never any question. (laughs) No. And nobody yeah. thought they were anything else. So yeah. I, I never met anybody yeah, back yeah. then who thought they were yeah. something else. No, we had sissies, but they were so men who, who I mean, boys who were like girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. You know, they weren't told to do anything else. Yeah. I like how um, how Buddy was, uh, how he would tell you, do your best today. Because he really sounded like, you know, you had your dad as a mentor, and of course your mom and, and your brothers and sisters, but uh, Buddy sounded like that he was somebody at the school, on the way to school and on the way home, that would give you that kick in the morning and then give you a good positive kick in the afternoon. Just a positive word. You yeah. Know, kids need a positive yeah. word. Also, they need a hug now and then. Now you're not even allowed to hug them. Yeah. And I, I just talked to a, a guy last night who's in professional baseball. Is it the Hillcats game? He's in professional baseball, and he's seeing now that the coaches are only a coach when they're on the field. There's no outside mentoring. There's no... Um, camaraderie or guidance unless you're on that ball field, on the diamond. And that's that's sad. You know, we, my high school basketball coach and, and cross-country coach was all, you know, just checking on you and mentoring you not only as an athlete, but all the way through. And, and we're not yeah. seeing that. A good role model. I'm a Christian, and Jesus was a, a mentor and a coach 24-7. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, never, it never went away. You were always a role model, yeah. always helping younger yeah. people uh, make their way through life. Yeah. Well, some of the stories in the book, most of them, as a matter of fact, are about my dad. He was yeah. a hero to me. And he Sounds was, like it, yeah. yeah. Well, he looks like me, but that's about where it ends. He was His hand-eye coordination was simply amazing. And the first time I witnessed that, we had this rooster. It seemed as big as a, a moose to me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was so violent. And yeah. It, it just hated me. Well, one day, I saw the rooster. He was uh, in the barnyard, and I noticed it was about maybe 200 feet from where I had to be to the house. And the rooster seemed to be interested in some hens there, so I thought I could make it. Yeah. So I started running toward the house. He cocked his head, saw me, and came after me. Mm. Caught up to me, spun me around, and he was—he had his claws hooked in my 
bib overhauls while he was flapping my face with his wings and pecking the top of my head. I mean, I was getting the hell beat yeah, out of yeah. me by this rooster. Yeah. And then it saw Daddy and took off. Well, Daddy happened to have his whammo slingshot. And I saw him. He calmly fitted a ball bearing, little ball bearing, in yeah. the whammo slingshot. That rooster was on a full run, and Daddy got it right in the head. <laughs> Which they're fast. That's, yeah. a, that's a good shot. A moving target that's fast and small. Yeah. He never missed anything. Right. No matter. Bow and arrow, hatchet, um, throwing knives, shotgun, rifle, pistol, yeah. or slingshot. His hand-eye coordination was mystical to me. And I asked him, how do you do that? And he said, you can't. You yeah. have to be born like I was, or yeah. you, you can never really learn what I do. Well, I remember, though, um, one story. I won't mention any names, George. But I remember one story of a uh, young boy who had pretty good hand-eye coordination with a Daisy BB gun hitting his dad in the back of the neck on the tractor from an elevated position and had to do some trajectory to figure that shot out. So That was me. Well, Daddy. I, I think your hand-eye coordination is pretty good as well. No, it was a... No, it was sniper training 101 right it was, there. It was a million-to-one shot, and I regretted the second I pulled the trigger on Bobby's BB gun that I pulled the trigger and I should have passed the BB gun to Bobby. Yeah, yeah, quick. yeah. And Daddy was way down in the field oh. uh, mowing and all of a sudden he grabs the back of his head and screams and he looks up and there I am with the BB gun. And he knew. Uh, Georgie, was that you? I said, yes, Daddy. <laughs> he said, oh, where do I get done mowing? Well, <laughs> we're Pennsylvania Dutch. Yeah. Uh, mowing comes first, revenge later. Right, right, right. <laughs> Right. He finished mowing the field before he yeah. before he swatted my butt. Yeah, but he went to church that Sunday. He had sunglasses on because he had a tremendous headache from yeah. the baby hitting him in the back of the head. Oh. And the preacher said, "Glenn, what's with the sunglasses?" He just let out one word: "Georgie." Georgie. <laughs> People knew. People knew. That's right. Yeah. In the book, the book "Surviving Georgie," it isn't just about the people who had to survive my childhood. It was me surviving several times. For instance, when a feral dog came on mm -hmm. to the property and it was attacking me, mm -hmm. and I was trying to cl climb up on this uh, gatepost high enough and the dog was after me, and from out of the blue came flying a fence post. Must have been 50 feet. Yeah. Killed the dog flat, flat out. And there was Daddy. He threw that fence post from that distance and killed the dog that was after me. Gigantic feral dog. He might have had rabies. I don't remember. But then I fell through the ice. Daddy and I were hunting. We crossed this uh, yeah. lake on the farm there. And uh, Daddy made the jump across. I missed. And I was slipping under an ice shelf. Yeah. And I would have died and I would not have been found until spring. But it was instinctive. You hold on to your gun yeah. no matter what. Well, I still had a hold of my little single barrel uh, Savage 20 gauge. And I felt a tug on it. And here, Daddy, mm. it was the last thing to slip wow. under the water. Daddy grabbed the gun, pulled me out, and uh, it was about a mile home. I ran the whole way home, wow. and I didn't even get cold. I was just because yeah. I was running so hard yeah. and, and, uh, yeah. and survived. He didn't even tell about it that night at supper. It was just something Just something did. he did, something yeah. he was expected to do. Yeah, it, it's interesting. So I don't want to give away too many stories. Um, we want well, to I have to tell about the silage. Yes, uh, yes. My brother and I... My older brother, Mo, was bigger than me, a lot stronger. We were up in the silo pitching our silage. It's this stuff that the cows like to eat. Yeah. And the cows were hungry, and we're up there. It was about 10 degrees. 
And my brother leans over. I was picturing this when I was reading. My brother leans laughing. over, and there's a bare space in his back, and I, where I could drop some frozen <laughs> silage down his pants. Didn't take me a second to figure out what to do. <laughs> down his pants, the frozen silage went. Well, I knew how awful it was because there was a lot of frozen silage down my pants a minute later. So we're there agonizing for this horrible frozen silage, and I yelled, "Truce, truce!" So we both had to take off our our boots, our trousers, our underwear, and shake them out to get rid of that frozen <laughs> silage. Well, meanwhile, Daddy's down below waiting for the silage, and there's no silage coming off. So he climbs up the silo uh, ladder, and as we were up there dancing around naked from the waist down, uh-huh. I saw his face appear uh, at, at the top of the ladder and looking at my brother and me, and it just developed this sad look. Right, right. And he descended the ladder, and he never mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> and it worried me for a long time <laughs> what he was thinking. What are they doing up there? Yeah, There's no telling. There is no I telling. I think he thought he had failed as a father. He probably did. Probably did. What in the world? Absolutely. That's good. Um, and then you had stories of, we'll let them read in the book, but you had stories about cats that can fly with parachutes. Um you have oh that's I also got into Pennsylvania Dutch tradition of shunning yeah if you had to, if you did something really really bad Marco you weren't allowed to eat with the family yeah yeah I dined on the back porch a whole lot uh-huh, uh-huh. when I parachuted the cat that yeah. cost me two weeks on the back porch yeah, yeah. <laughs> eating my dinner out there and then uh, you talk about the the muddy road and how how that was bad. The pastor that would come visit everybody's homes, I like. Don't give that one up because I want them to read that one. But that I enjoyed that one about the hound dogs. They got to, they have got to read that story. But I was giggling. I couldn't like. I'm got it here in front of me. I'm I'm holding it now, and uh, it's an easy read book. The chapters are short. I think there's what 64 chapters. The chapters are short. They're they're fun to read. But it's I was reading. It's like I got to read one more story. I got to read one more story. My wife came in and said, "What are you laughing at? This book? It's it's a it's like I said. There's some serious times there. But it takes it took me back to what I would imagine my grandfather's childhood to be. Uh, they were had some property in Ocala, Florida, out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but yeah, it, it's really good. So how do they get the book? You can go to survivinggeorgie.com. Uh-huh. Which is the name of the book, Surviving, yeah, Surviving Georgie. Georgie.com. Yeah. Or you can go to Amazon. It's yeah. gotten all five-star reviews so far. Yeah. And uh, it's the only book ever published that has been endorsed by Focus on the Family. Yeah. Liberty University. Yeah. I see on the back cover and uh, Saturday Larry Night Live. <laughs> yeah, I saw Saturday Night Live, uh, Victoria Jackson and Larry. Dow- if Larry endorses it, yeah, you better read it. Oh, Larry Dowdy, yeah, <laughs> he, he laughed his butt off. He said, at any rate, it is uh, Victoria Jackson, one of the funniest women in history. She's used yeah. to be on Saturday Night Live. She said, maybe one of the funniest books ever written. It is. It really is. She's coming out in a new movie with Pure Flix. They're the ones who did the movie Unplanned. Uh-huh. I was with uh, the producers of Unplanned. They're one of the three movie production companies that talked to me about doing a movie on Surviving Georgie. Yeah. It's in the hands right now of a guy named Randall Wallace. He did Braveheart, Hacksaw Bridge. Yeah. Uh, uh, Books, uh, movies like that, and he uh, he's trying to tie all the stories together into a central theme, and I think that central theme is going to be a father's love for an impossible kid. Yes, and steering him through his childhood. Yeah, 
uh, which in me, times that weren't necessarily very easy. So your dad's trying hard. to hold everything together for the family with a son, <laughs> a mischievous son. But but you know we're at war and and the country's not doing well at that time and. You're on a farm, and yeah. There well, were, the country was doing better than we were. Yeah, Let's put it yeah, right, right, <laughs> because we right. Were, you know, we had a little dairy farm, and yeah, you know, I'll tell you when we depended all the time on is it going to rain? Uh huh. Is it going to freeze too hard? Is it going to be a drought? Is it, what's going on? And we were always we were always at the uh, whatever was happening in the weather. And yeah. If you had too big of a crop, everybody else had one too. So you right. you didn't get as much money because right. The only way you could make money is if your crops did well and everybody else's didn't. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> there's no way. So yeah. we, we raised all of our own food. Um, we had a saying, if you want to eat something, you better go shoot something. Yeah. So it was a hunting economy. Um, like the red hen story you talk about. Oh, yeah, the red hen. Yeah. Uh, there's stories in there for kids. I, I wrote this book for people 60 and over. Mm-hmm. And I recently got an email from a guy in San Antonio. He said I was reading the stories to my 85-year-old dad who has Alzheimer's. He hasn't spoken in several years. Mm -hmm. And as I was reading him stories about the farm, he was laughing loudly. There was yeah. some area of his brain wasn't. Yeah. It hadn't been affected by the Alzheimer's. But the main fan mail was coming in from little kids. Yeah. Ten years old. Yeah. We we um my wife and I don't have kids, but we foster quite often for uh, for Bedford County here in Virginia. Oh, wow. and, oh, and I'm God gonna tell you, you, some of these stories are gonna be bedtime stories to those kids because they're they're funny and they they also tell a story about responsibility. You know, they're all funny stories, but if you kind of look into it, it's it's a time when when uh, when you as a kid, you know, and your dad was responsible, the whole family. Uh, so if you go to survivinggeorgie.com you'll see a couple of uh, movie trailers there mm -hmm. yeah. and promos and so on. And uh, where uh, we did them locally here in Lynchburg, yeah, uh, out at Harold Lyle's chicken farm, yeah, where I tied all the chickens to my yes, wagon, yes. to make them pull me. By the way, you, that didn't work out well, right? But you had chicken <laughs> that night for dinner. Everybody uh, had well, we had an everybody had a, a whole chicken, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the uh, that story's in there, the burnt spaghetti where we were all holding our nose uh -huh. and eating the spaghetti. Uh -huh. So you can't smell it, you can't taste but it. But they can go to survivinggeorgie.com and okay. see some of the movie trailers on there. And I, um, a lot of people out in Hollywood saw those little movie trailers. Yeah. And, and they said they were laughing and, and uh, they thought it would be a really funny movie. But the fan mail that I'm getting isn't from older people. It's from young people. And the main question is... Why aren't things like that now? I know. Who stopped that? I know. Why can't I live like that? Yeah. And a lot of other people are saying, why wasn't I raised in a family like yours? Yeah. Well, at the time, I didn't know we were anything special, mm -hmm. and we weren't. We were just a family who had to pull together right. to survive the rigors of that age, that farm. Right. We knew. And our community self-policed. I don't think there was a policeman within a hundred miles of us. Right, right. But we self-policed, and, and well, there was with the tent story with you sleeping out back that they have to read in the book. Oh, oh, that there was. There was awful. one policeman that. Then uh, that's a good one with the with the uh, the the homemade a straight trooper coming Whoa, through. Oh boy, that yeah. could have been bad. Yeah, that that's a that's an interesting story. How God spared the whole family. Wow. Wow. Oh, there's one there where the, <clears throat> we were down in Pittsburgh, coming back from Pittsburgh. Daddy took us to the zoo. Mm -hmm. Well, we're on our way back. I was uh, 10 years old, and I had the first issues 
of Mad Magazine. Yeah. I, maybe the very first one. Yeah. And I was in the back seat reading Mad Magazine, just laughing my butt off. And here Daddy was speeding and a state trooper pulled him over. And he was giving Daddy a big lecture. And, yeah. And as he left, he said, what's with your kid? You know, Daddy was giving a lecture while I was in the back seat laughing <laughs> my butt off. <laughs> he made sure the police Which didn't help the situation <laughs> oh, at Daddy all. Oh, Daddy was mad. After the policeman was out of eye shot, Daddy turned around and grabbed the bad magazine. <laughs> and he pulled it out of my hands, ripped it up. You know, rip, 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 rip. I guess it was cathartic for him. But right, right, right. <laughs> I always wondered what happened in that bad magazine. Yeah. I never got to finish it. <laughs> it's on the it. side of the road somewhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so they can go to survivinggeorgie.com to get mm-hmm. the book, to see your, your trailers. Um, I'm going to have you on again because there's more we need to talk about. Uh with uh, with Tea Party and and I want to talk about conservative with with the what you're doing there. So well, I do a one minute radio spot every day called Tea with George. Okay. And uh, when I was out in California, I got on another 121 stations. So nice. I think I'm on 1100 stations every day now. One yeah. minute a day. That's great. Tea with George. If you go to teawithgeorge.com, you can. Okay. You can. Uh, Get it by email. That's how my dad used to get it. Yeah. It wasn't aired outside Punxsutawney. So right. He would get it on his email right. every day. Cool. Spend a glorious minute with his son, Georgie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been fun. I've, I Like I said, I enjoyed the book. Uh, I really enjoyed the book and always enjoy talking to you. And uh, uh, Marco, this is an honor for me. Yeah. I appreciate you coming out. So, again, the book is Surviving Georgie. You can get it at survivinggeorgie.com. George Kaler. Uh, Stop by to see us today at T4 Tactics Active Listening. So we hope you enjoyed it. And tune in again. And remember, uh, reduce injuries and save lives, everybody. Be safe. I have one request. Yes. If I get rich and famous, I want you as a bodyguard. Absolutely. <laughs> we, can, we can probably work that out for the prices right. <laughs> see you guys. <laughs>